I am Brother Cornell West. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D, Public Enemy Prophets of Rage. And this is Newsbeat. Hey, everybody. This is Manny Faces, audio editor, co-producer, and host of the award-winning Newsbeat podcast, where we expose harsh truths in the public good and highlight the voices of those out there trying to make a real difference. Now, before we get to the heart of the matter, just a reminder for everyone to follow this show wherever you're listening to us and to please leave a rating and review. It helps out tremendously. Now, you may have heard, but California recently sued some of the world's biggest polluters for their role in the climate crisis and deceiving the public. Of course, California isn't the first state or municipality to do this, as you'll learn in a little bit, but some experts say this suit is among the most significant. This action comes at a particularly critical time. Just this month, there have been large-scale protests across the world, including New York, where UN member states gathered for a special climate summit. And not like we need to explain something that most of us has experienced, this summer has been particularly brutal from a climate perspective. Take Phoenix, Arizona, for instance, which set a record of 31 consecutive days with the temperatures at or above 110 degrees Fahrenheit. And obviously, we've had deadly, horrific wildfires in Maui and other parts of the world, along with devastating floods and other extreme weather events. As climate experts and politicians, some of them at least, try to save humanity, others are attacking the crisis in another way, directly targeting fossil fuel companies like ExxonMobil, Shell, and others through the courts for their role in creating the crisis, lying about it, and deceiving the public. Those on the front lines of this battle scored a major victory earlier this year when the U.S. Supreme Court shut down a challenge by those polluters who tried to get the cases moved out of state courts on jurisdictional grounds. So a bit more context on this episode. We've previously told you about how Exxon hid the truth about the impacts of fossil fuels for decades. Well, in this follow-up, you'll hear briefly about how Shell downplayed the effects of climate change. Keep this in mind as you listen to this episode and check out other climate stories. Internal experts within companies such as Exxon predicted with startling accuracy that the globe would warm as a result of fossil fuel emissions, meaning they were among the first to know what would happen. Climate change is not new, as they discovered decades ago. Now, to help us sort all this out, we welcome back friend of the show, Emily Sanders, editorial lead for the Center for Climate Integrity and its content arm, the Exxon News Substack. Exxon News, K-N-E-W-S, and Alyssa Joel, Vice President of Legal and General Counsel for the Center for Climate Integrity. And a brief note about the process for making this episode. While we use clips from various media sources, some are harder to find than others. In one section, we did use a segment from the podcast Drilled to help provide further context about Shell. And you can check that out and more information about this story on our Substack as well at newsbeat.substack.com. All right, let's go. This is Big Oil on Trial. Polluters face wave of climate lawsuits. The problem is not simply fossil fuel emissions. It's fossil fuels, period. The solution is clear. The world must phase out fossil fuels in a just and equitable way. Moving to leave oil, coal and gas in the ground where they belong and massively boosting renewable investment in a just transition. Fossil fuel companies must also seize and desist influence peddling and legal threats designed to kneecap progress. I'm thinking particularly of recent attempts to subvert net zero alliances invoking antitrust legislations. 
Fossil fuel companies are suing governments across the world for more than $18 billion for taking action against climate change that threatened their profits, according to research conducted by campaign group Global Justice Now and provided exclusively to Sky News. TC Energy, RWE, Uniper, Rockhopper and Ascent are using a legal process that allows commercial entities to sue governments under international laws governing trade agreements and treaties. That spells catastrophe, yet the collective response remains pitiful. We are hurtling towards disaster, eyes wide open, with far too many willing it all on uh, wishful thinking and proven technologies and silver bullet solutions. It's time to wake up and step up. It was a day like no other recently for several of the world's biggest oil and gas companies. Three major firms suffered hits in court and among their own investors. This comes as pressure is mounting from many fronts for businesses and governments to get more aggressive about curtailing the emissions that are driving the dangerous warming of our planet. This moment has been years in the making. Major fossil fuel companies, and that's Exxon, Chevron, BP, and Shell, are facing a growing number of lawsuits that aim to hold them accountable for lying to the public and about the catastrophic climate change caused by their products and for the resulting damages. Almost all of these lawsuits have been brought in state court by state attorneys general and municipal governments because they're citing violations of state laws, like consumer fraud or failure to warn. The city and county of Boulder is joining San Miguel County and suing two companies accused of causing climate change. The lawsuit accuses ExxonMobil and Suncor Energy of knowingly contributing to the climate crisis. The Colorado Oil and Gas Association responded to the suit by calling it a political stunt. The oil companies are terrified of these cases because there's so much strong evidence against them. In the company's own words, the lawsuits pose massive monetary liability for them. So they have been trying desperately for years to escape state courts where they would have to face trials in front of juries that would see that evidence and into federal courts where they think it would be easier to escape accountability. And there are a lot of legal arguments they've made in these cases for them to be in federal jurisdiction. And disclaimer, I'm not a lawyer, but Essentially, they've tried to argue that these cases are federal in nature because they're seeking to set climate policy through the courts or that they're an effort to solve global climate change. But every single judge to rule so far didn't buy this argument. And the judges used some very strong language in their rulings to say so. They said things like the company's arguments misconstrue, that they're unpersuasive and that they're incorrect because what these cases are really about is holding corporations accountable for deceiving the public about the harms they knew their products would cause and making them pay for the damages at the local level. With this lawsuit, Minnesota becomes the fourth state to take on big oil for climate change, essentially saying that these companies and their industry group, API, broke the state's consumer protection laws by not warning consumers about the dangers of those products to the environment. When a company violates state laws, they can and should be held accountable in state court. 
In every single case where the oil companies have tried to argue that these lawsuits belong in federal court, judges have unanimously ruled against them. The Supreme Court declined a petition from fossil fuel companies to take up the case, ending a long-running question over jurisdiction. Delaware filed the suit in September 2020, claiming fossil fuel companies' products caused or accelerated climate change, endangering thousands of Delaware residents, threatening the state's agriculture sector, and jeopardizing over a billion dollars in property value. The suit also claims the companies knew or should have known the dangers of their products and have misled the public for decades. And just to give you an idea of how overwhelming these rulings have been, between district and appeals courts, 33 judges appointed by Republicans and Democrats, not a single judge has agreed with Big Oil's arguments. So since the companies lost every lower court decision, their only option left was this Hail Mary play for the Supreme Court to bail them out so that they wouldn't have to face the growing evidence of their climate lies in front of a jury. In Colorado, Rhode Island, Maryland, Hawaii, and California, the oil companies were pleading the Supreme Court to step in and overturn what every other judge had ruled. And that state court is the appropriate place for these cases to proceed. Even the U.S. Department of Justice urged the Supreme Court to reject Big Oil's arguments back in March. But the industry and its backers have been extremely relentless. Leading up to the decision, there was this explosion of opinion pieces, many of them in right-wing media outlets that were clearly trying to influence the court, begging the Supreme Court justices to take these cases and overturn the lower court rulings. And with just a very quick Google search, you can see that most, if not all of the authors, had direct ties to fossil fuel companies themselves, including defendants in these cases. We had a major win, I would say, when the Supreme Court decided not to take up a case, uh, an appeal of an appellate court decision in the case brought by three Colorado communities against Exxon and Suncor. And, you know, as a result of this, you know, what I consider a non-decision by the Supreme Court, it basically clears the way for these cases um, on behalf of states and municipalities to proceed in state court. There will be a tidal wave in, in some ways of these cases moving back into state court where they will proceed to first motions to dismiss. We're not overly concerned about that, but then they'll move on to discovery and ultimately trial. I think this not only creates an opportunity for the cases that were moving through the court system, but also opportunities for others that may have been, you know, waiting and watching on the sidelines to determine whether or not to proceed. I'm Kathy Mulvey, and I direct the Fossil Fuel Company Accountability Campaign with the Union of Concerned Scientists. Scientists have known for some time that increasing concentrations of carbon dioxide and other heat-trapping gases in the atmosphere can cause changes to our climate. And what's interesting is, you know, this information came to corporate leadership of companies like Exxon. And, you know, in the late 1970s and early 80s, Exxon actually had researchers looking at these issues and actually was in the 80s warned that we needed a, a rapid transition away from fossil fuels. Fossil fuels.
there is well-established evidence going back to late 1950s, 1960s, that really paints the picture of what the industry knew and when they knew it. And really, this is all revealed in their own internal industry documents, which uh, is going to be quite damaging. We have a lot of evidence that points to what Exxon knew, what the American Petroleum Institute knew. Most recently, we came across a, a set, set of documents of, of what Shell knew that much further back than what we had originally um, had an understanding of. All of these companies were in, working in concert together, either individually or as part of their membership and trade associations. So there was very clear linkage and understanding of what they all knew and when. And I think it, it really paints the picture. It can't be refuted. I mean, this is what the industry was saying in their own words, in the words of their own scientists, and then how their C-suite was responding in turn. So the writing's on the wall. And I think what we're doing now is trying to develop a better understanding of how that deception has evolved and changed over the years. Just this April, a new trove of internal shell documents was released from Dutch researcher Vatan Puzier, showing that as far back as the 1970s, the company had an incredibly accurate understanding of how the use of their products would alter the climate. In the last few months, a group of Dutch investigative reporters have been doing a great job publishing various stories on what Shell knew. Yeah, we, we investigated uh, Fritz Butcher, a man who we didn't know actually before our investigation. <laughs> but Fritz Butcher is generally uh, known or was known in the 90s as one of the founders of the climate skeptic movement in the Netherlands. Before that, he was known as one of the founders of the Club of Rome, which was founded in 1968 and warned against the uh, excessive economic growth with its uh, famous report, uh, Limits to Growth. Mm -hmm. So he was in general a uh, well-known scientist, uh, professor in chemistry. He worked for Shell from 1953 to 1983, so, so for wow. more or less. And he was he was familiar with uh, you know the heads, uh, the, the the main CEOs. You know he considered them to be his personal friends. At the end of the 70s, is there was a discussion about uh, the greenhouse effect beginning, wow. so he got involved in immediately and also supported by Shell already in 1979. The first sign of support from Royal Dutch Shell to him regarding the greenhouse effect is actually from 1979 when Shell financed a small research of Fritz Butcher into the greenhouse effect to see what was right and what was wrong about this theory as he would uh, call it and this was actually already the first time when he started to develop his, his skeptic uh, arguments and, and vision. They conducted some of the earliest research into the effects of climate change because they wanted to know precisely how it would affect demand for oil. Just for an example, one Shell-funded report from 1975 warned that, quote, increases in the CO2 content of the atmosphere could lead to the so-called greenhouse effect, which would be enough to induce major climatic changes, unquote. Three years later, a Shell-sponsored think tank produced a report predicting, quote, severe stresses on human societies, unquote. 
On the other hand, Shell realized that while burning fossil fuels would put humanity and the planet in deep trouble, climate change might not be so bad for their bottom line. In 1981, they learned from one of the academic climate research initiatives that they had helped establish that the melting of Arctic sea ice was actually going to allow more access to fossil fuel deposits. Three years later, after that, Shell obtained a patent for an offshore structure that would allow them to drill for oil in previously unreachable regions of the Arctic. And while they were gaining all, these, all of this knowledge, the documents that Hoosier found show that they were pushing for more government investment in fossil fuels while downplaying and sowing doubt about climate science. An example of that, in suggested edits to another industry-backed report about coal from 1979, the managing director of Shell Coal International complained that the report was, quote, rather negative, would like to see more positive tone, and that risks abound in all energy developments, why single out coal?" Unquote. The final version of that report, which was titled Coal, Bridge to the Future, said that, quote, the present state of knowledge about CO2 effects on climate does not justify action to delay the expansion of coal use. Of course, they knew that that was not true. In a 1989 internal scenario, Shell outlined two future paths. In one path, we would do nothing to curb fossil fuel use. And under that scenario, the company predicted, quote, more violent weather, more storms, more droughts, and more deluges, and that many species of trees, plants, animals, and insects would not be able to move and adapt, unquote. And they said, that the impact on humans, and especially in the global south, would be most severe, and acknowledge that only wealthy countries would have any chance of coping with those impacts. In another scenario that they imagined in this document, called Sustainable World, the use of fossil fuels would be curbed, greenhouse gas emissions would peak around the year 2000, and none of those horrors would come to pass at all. Later that same year, though, that Shell constructed these scenarios, the company joined the Global Climate Coalition, the GCC, which was a fossil fuel industry front group that was formed explicitly to fight climate action. So you can tell with which path they decided to choose. In 1989, the fossil fuel industry created a group called the Global Climate Coalition. But it wasn't an environmental organization like it might sound. Instead, the group cast doubt about climate change, helping to create large-scale climate denial as we know it today. And it also fought laws and treaties that would have helped to prevent global warming. These documents were actually already cited in a friend of the court or amicus brief that was filed by the Center for Climate Integrity and some other climate disinformation experts in support of DC communities in their case against big oil. And then back in January, we got some similar research about Exxon's early climate modeling. So a group of researchers from Harvard University and the Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research released the first ever systematic peer-reviewed study of an oil company's climate models. 
focusing on the internal climate projections of Exxon scientists between 77 and 2003. And they not only found that Exxon's climate modeling was spot on, like they even knew what the eventual carbon budget would need to be to keep warming below two degrees Celsius, but they also found that it was the complete opposite of what the company was claiming about climate change publicly, much like Shell. So rather than report their data to shareholders or consumers, Exxon executives were publicly stating that the science was still too indeterminate to take action. And in all these climate accountability cases, the plaintiffs really need to prove that both that the oil and gas companies had long-standing knowledge of the causes and consequences of climate change, and that rather than disclose that information to the public, they actively disputed what they knew. So I think these new revelations are likely going to be really useful as evidence in these cases moving forward. We all know smoking causes cancer. It's common knowledge today, but we used to think most cigarettes were fine. Surprisingly, some of the first people to learn about tobacco's health impacts were tobacco companies themselves. I have a lucky. It's light of time. They kept this information from their customers for decades and eventually got sued over it big time. Today, lawsuits are positioning climate change as this generation smoking. It pollutes the air, it's caused by burning chemicals we buy from a handful of huge companies, and it's dangerous to human health. Big tobacco and big oil are really not at all different from one another. In fact, there is a lot of overlap in terms of the lawyers who are involved, the PR firms that are involved, the legal strategies that are involved. So there's a lot of similarities between the two. I think one of the things that we saw in the tobacco litigation was that, you know, there was, again, this groundswell of litigation from municipalities, states, also individuals who were suffering severe harm as a result of tobacco products. We've arrived at our final destination, and that's the destination of tobacco justice. And now our people can breathe a lot easier. Uh, this time, uh, indeed, the people have won. The tobacco industry has conceded defeat, and we have a settlement of historic proportions. I think at the end of the day, it was, you know, the federal government that came in and that brought a RICO racketeering lawsuit that really put the nail in the coffin for the tobacco industry. And between that and, a, you know, a, a multi-state settlement that took place, not only were they paying extraordinary amounts of compensation, but they were forced to, to own up to their lies and to tell the truth through truth campaigns and advertising campaigns that really shared what they knew and what the harms associated with their products are. Smoking kills, on average, 1,200 Americans every day. They're short and stark. There is no safe level of exposure to secondhand smoke. This week, these ads are hitting television networks and major newspapers across the country. There is no safe cigarette. All directly addressing the negative impacts of smoking. All cigarettes cause cancer, lung disease, heart attacks, and premature death. The ads are paid for by the tobacco companies themselves, part of a federal court order. So I think we will see similar outcomes. We will see similar remedies. We also, you know, in the tobacco industry, we saw disclosure of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of documents 
that came out in the process of discovery and litigation. I think we will also see the same here. And the early cases that are being brought, to the extent that the courts release those documents, they'll just be used as leverage in other lawsuits. So I think that's going to be extraordinarily powerful. The ocean is rapidly heating up, hitting record-breaking levels. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, better known as NOAA, reported this week that ocean surface temperatures spiked in April and May to the highest levels recorded since the 1950s. This could have dangerous consequences for aquatic life, hurricane activity, and global weather patterns. Climate change obviously impacts communities in all sorts of ways. You have coastal communities experiencing rising seas, flooding, and extreme weather. And you have places like Boulder with wildfires and other places with drought and extreme heat and all different combinations of these. Tens of thousands of people in Colorado were forced to evacuate quickly yesterday. Wind-fueled fires swept swiftly through suburban neighborhoods outside of Denver, causing significant property damage. Whole neighborhoods in Boulder County, Colorado this morning are in smoldering ruin. The winds eventually died down overnight, and today snow is providing some relief, but dangers remain. The fast-moving grass fires accelerated by hurricane-force winds gusting up to 105 miles per hour destroyed hundreds of homes. So, of course, the cases cite different damages depending on those impacts and what it will require for their specific community to adapt. But they also cite violations of different state laws because they're filed in different states. What they all boil down to, though, is holding these companies accountable to stop them from deceiving the public and make them pay their fair share of the damage they've caused. Today, Multnomah County filed a lawsuit against some of the world's largest fossil fuel companies. The lawsuit blames them for the heat dome that killed dozens of Oregonians in 2021. With this action, we seek to hold these fossil fuel companies accountable for the damages that have arisen from one of the most deadly and destructive human-made weather disasters in American history. There are a couple different categories these cases fit into. There's climate fraud or cases that say the companies violated state or local consumer protection statutes by lying to consumers about their products. With this suit, we're sending a clear message to every industry, including the petroleum industry. If you lie to the public to protect your profits, we will hold you accountable. And then there's climate damages, or cases that say these companies should help communities pay for the huge costs of climate change the industry knowingly caused. So that's helping communities adapt to and recover from climate disasters that put infrastructure and homes, public health and people's lives at risk. These are really immense costs that most communities can't afford on their own, and especially communities on the front lines of climate change, which tend to be people of color and low-income communities. It's easy to get trapped in these never-ending cycles of disaster recovery when you don't have the resources to adapt or rebuild before the next storm hits. We know those resources aren't equally distributed or accessible. A good number of the cases also seek remedies for both fraud and damages, and they all tend to have a few key players at the forefront of climate deception as defendants. Exxon is a defendant in all of them, but some cases have dozens of defendants, including oil companies like Chevron, Shell, and BP. 
All four of these companies, by the way, made their highest profits ever in 2022, which they used to enrich shareholders and ramp up fossil fuel production while pulling out of their climate commitments, all while these companies paid the price. Energy giants Shell and Total have announced yet another quarter of record-breaking profits. They plan to buy back a combined $8 billion worth of shares in the coming months. The parent company of British Gas also reported first-half operating profits that were five times higher than a year earlier. Energy companies have been coming under growing pressure as they continue to reap the benefits of high global oil and gas prices. Some countries are considering a temporary tax on those profits to offset the pain for consumers. It should also be noted, I think, that there was one case that was filed in federal court by 16 municipalities in Puerto Rico. That case makes similar arguments to the others, but it also charges the companies with racketeering, which is what the DOJ sued tobacco for. Racketeering was designed actually to take on the mob, and it basically charges companies who should be competitors with conspiring together to deceive the public. It's ironic in some ways because Big Oil had wanted to be in federal court, but that's clearly not what they had in mind because a RICO lawsuit in federal court is a very dangerous thing for them and probably their worst nightmare. If the Tobacco Master settlement was any indicator, it's not likely to go well for them. But I would say that they fear all of these cases because it takes just one case to go to trial and win to show a path forward for all of these other communities and to really definitively shine a light on the industry's actions. Dear friends, humanity is on thin ice and that ice is melting fast. As today's report of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC, details, humans are responsible for virtually all global heating over the last 200 years. The rate of temperature rise in the last half century is the highest in 2000 years. Concentrations of carbon dioxide are at their highest in at least two million years. The climate time bomb is ticking. But today's IPCC report is a how-to guide to defuse the climate time bomb. It is a survival guide for humanity. As it shows, the 1.5 degree limit is achievable, but it will take a quantum leap in climate action. This report is a clarion call to massively fast-track climate efforts by every country and every sector and on every time frame. In short, our world needs climate action on all fronts, everything, everywhere, all at once. I mean, the stakes have never been higher for, for people, for wildlife, for economic systems, for the planet at large, and we are getting our last warnings from the IPCC and scientists across the board. We really don't have any time left to waste, and as long as these oil companies are still at the negotiating table, we're not going to get the meaningful climate policy that we need to address this problem. Had we known what oil companies knew, at the time that they knew it, we might have had a very different future and we might have had very different options at this point, but the stakes really couldn't be higher. Amen, Emily. Amen. Unfortunately, she's dead right. We're simply running out of time. 
UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres, whose voice you heard in some of the clips in this episode, including the final one at the end, said this during the special UN Climate Summit on September 20th. Quote, humanity has opened the gates to hell. End quote. Hyperbolic? I don't know. It damn sure feels like it. Just ask Phoenix and so many other regions and cities that experienced soaring, unprecedented temperatures recently. Now, as with many important issues, there's no single way to take action. But these suits may have a huge impact. We'll have to wait and see. If you want to continue to follow the story, subscribe to the Exxon News Substack, Exxon at K-N-E-W-S. The link is in the show notes and in our own Substack, which is also in the show notes. We also threw in a few links to our past episodes on this topic if you haven't yet had an opportunity to check those out. Now, please make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite podcast or audio streaming app. And again, subscribe for free to the Newsbeat Substack for more information about each and every episode and some bonus content as well. We're at newsbeat.substack.com. So for Chris, Rashad, and the rest of the Newsbeat team, I'm Manny Faces. We appreciate y'all for checking us out. Until next time, wishing peace and love to you and yours. I am Brother Cornell West. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D, Public Enemy Prophet of Rage. And this is News Beat. This is a Many Faces Media production. Many Faces! You sick for this one. Sick for-